Good morning, afternoon or evening, depending on when you're listening to this. Welcome to episode six of My Movie Minute, in which co-host Mark and myself dissect some of our favourite minutes from the movies we love and ask you, the listener, to try and guess the movie from our description of the scene. A little bit of important housekeeping at the start of this episode. As you may be aware, if you've listened to the podcast before, immediately after we describe the scene, we play the clip. Over the past couple of episodes, we may well have lulled you into a false sense of security as you've been playing clips from children's movies. However, this week's clip is rather intense and could be upsetting for some. It is from a 15 certificate movie and includes swearing. So whilst Mark and I don't swear during the episode, there is some swearing in the clip. More importantly, the clip includes the sound of a violent gunshot. As such, we wanted to include this trigger warning at the start of the episode. Just before the clip, you will hear our voice once more, so you have the opportunity to skip forwards one minute and meet us on the other side if you'd rather skip the swearing and the gunfire. As you can probably tell, in contrast to previous episodes, we are looking at a much more adult clip today, and as such, just wanted to, you to have this information up front to make an informed decision. It's not all doom and gloom, and this is still a fun episode, so please do stick around and listen to our chat today. So with that said, and without further ado, enjoy this week's Movie Minute. What about you, bruh? What about me? Do you ever look at someone and wonder what is going on inside their head? Who are you? Are we enemies? Why am I on this wall? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Trinity, Eli, you boy. They mostly come at night. Mostly. And once again, it's time for us to switch seats. And uh, Charlie, you're going to talk to me about your latest movie moment. I'm wondering already which kids film we're going to be talking about. <laughs> um, because uh, we may have to label this as the, the childhood movie of my dreams or something like that. Uh, so we'll see what's, what's coming up. Yeah, we're moving away from uh, from this, both kids' films and nostalgia this week, and the 90s, so, you know, a, a triple moving away from, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, cannot wait to get into it. Before we do, have you had any uh, fun listener feedback? A listener on Twitter, who I strongly suspect might be your dad, Mark, <laughs> based on his surname, um, offered up his favourite movie minute, uh, which was a very famous Brian Blessed quote from Flash Gordon. Now, I suspect, having heard your Daniel Plainview impression, Mark, <laughs> that you might have a half-decent Brian Blessed impression in you somewhere. So do you want to remind us what so, that awesome line is? <laughs> knowing what my dad loves... Um, Gordon's alive is quite a good one. Uh, my favourite, though, my favourite Brian Blessed. So last last podcast we talked about my movie cupboard. So Flash Gordon was one of those VHSs in my movie cupboard, and uh, my dad would put this on when he would do his house cleaning, mm. and so I would sit in front of Flash Gordon as much as any other movie. Uh, and the Brian Blessed line that always stuck stuck with me. Again, I think I said last week about how lines stick with you. He, he thanks Flash 
Uh, and Flash asks, what for? And he says, for giving a double bird a second chance. <laughs> and that's my, that's my favourite Brad Blessed line, even though there is so many jives and uh, Gordon's alive. The thing is, unfortunately, the listeners won't see that when you do your uh, blind invested impression, which I'm now honoured to have seen, as I said, I've seen your Daniel Plainview impression. It's not hugely a million miles away from it. But um, your whole face is it's like you've just been taken over by the, the, the mighty Brian Blessed as you as do it so uh, it's not just a verbal thing I, I i i wish and if we ever take guests uh i'll invite him on but i wish i could relay some of i have a friend who has had the pleasure of recording brian blessed's voice on a number of occasions so many fun anecdotes but Brian Blessed likes to chat in between takes, so he'll kind of regale you with stories of Everest, and uh, that's Everest, not Avarice, mm. uh, of climbing mountains and such in between the takes. And so he has so many Brian Blessed stories. If you ever want uh, to hear you know, a, an amazing Brian Blessed interview, the Richard Herring Leicester Square Theatre podcast, when he finally got Brian Blessed on after trying for a while is 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 something to behold because um, I don't think Richard Herring says anything like um, he 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 starts the uh, interview and then Brian Blessed because it's done, it's done live on stage stands at the front of the stage and addresses the audience in a monologue <laughs> for the rest of the episodes. Yes, <laughs> yes he does. <laughs> but there we go. He is uh, a hero and a one-off, and the future. We'll have no one like him, yeah, I fear. Indeed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the, moving on from my Brian Blessed, uh, requests for anything you'd like said in a bad Brian Blessed impression on Twitter, please. Let's, let's get straight into then uh, your description, no characters, no uh, giveaways of your movie moment. And if you're listening at home and want to try and guess what it is... Uh, what movie minute is Charlie talking about here? We are driving in a car down a quiet country lane. The car is full with the driver and four passengers, one in the front, three in the back. The front seat passenger blows a ping pong ball from her mouth into the mouth of one of the back seat passengers, who then transfers the ping pong ball back at close range before blowing it jokingly at the youngest passenger. This is met with a mix of disgust and laughter. Suddenly, a burning car comes rolling down a hill in front of them out of the woods and blocks the road. The car we are in speeds up but doesn't make it, then quickly starts to reverse. Suddenly, 60 or so people come running out of the woods and attack the reversing car, throwing stones at other objects or using weapons to hit the car. A chase begins. A window smashes. A burning can hits the car and explodes in flames. A motorbike starts to chase after the car. A gun is removed by the motorcyclist and a shot is fired. The motorbike pulls up alongside the car and one of the passengers opens the door heavily, causing the motorbike to violently crash on the floor, sending its driver and a passenger flying. Perhaps you got it from that description. Perhaps you're still wondering. But as warned at the beginning, we're now going to play the audio from the film. So if you want to miss out on the sound of that loud gunshot or that swear word, uh, we will see you on the other side. Uh, and you can skip forward uh, one minute from now. <laughs> do it again, do it again. <laughs> Julian, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, look out! Sheesh! 
That uh, that took a turn. Um, we're going from ping pong balls being passed between mouths to uh, people flying off motorbikes. So what? Uh, I hope you got that at home. What is what is that from, Charlie? Well, after our sort of nineties nostalgia fest that we've been on, uh, I'm moving into something very bleak and much more modern, which is the dystopian sci-fi Children of Men. Um, I will say up front. Um, there's a detail that I left out of that description. And I did say because I think it would spoil the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it. So mm. if you haven't seen Children of Men and don't want a spoiler, this is now the time to stop listening. Go and watch it. It's a great sci-fi movie. But um, something... We're still sort of early on in the film, but something quite important happens in this scene and I wouldn't want to spoil it for someone who hasn't seen it. But assuming that those people have now gone off to watch it, the detail I left out is that... that as if all of that wasn't dramatic enough, it's quite clear that the bullet that was fired from the gun uh, hits and kills uh, one of our main characters, Julia, who's played by Julianne Moore, uh, on top of all of the other stuff that happened in that one minute. Just to, just to round the description off completely. So I have seen Children of Men. Now everyone who's listening has seen Children of Men. <laughs> but if people haven't watched it in a little while, do you want to fill us in a little bit on kind of what's happening, where this comes in 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 the in the movie the first this is sort of beginning of the second act i'd say we've had a huge amount of kind of world building going on before this uh where we've been following theo who this sort of um movie follows actually i think the movie is more about key but we see it through the eyes of of theo um and he has we have established this world this dystopian future where about 18 years ago births stopped happening and so there are no there have been no new children born for 18 years and there is a huge war against immigration within within the uk which is where this is set but it's kind of very clear that the whole world really has has, has gone downhill and our central character theo has been contacted by julian his his ex to help out with this anarchist group who are kind of helping at refugees and his mission has been to help protect key um who's one of the passengers to sort of escape um for reasons we find out a little bit later this is the first moment that actually theo and key have been introduced he's got into the car and they're driving along and there's a lot of reminiscence going on between julian and and, and um theo which is the sort of ping pong ball moment if i was to describe this movie in sort of fantasy terms it is actually kind of like a, a hero's journey with um theo as our frodo and key as our ring and he is sort of is about kind of protecting <laughs> her and making sure she gets to the final destination unharmed um because the rest of the movie does actually play out like that it plays out just as a hero's journey from a, from, from a to b and meeting loads and loads of um difficulties along the way so this i guess is the start of that journey yeah, the crossing of that threshold. Mm. So why have you chosen it as a movie minute of yours? 
I'm about to make a very bold statement. Maybe the boldest I've made Love yet it. on this uh, on this podcast. Um, I believe, and I may be proven wrong somewhere later on as we record more episodes of this. But right now, as of this moment in time, I believe this is objectively the best minute of cinema. Um, by objectively, I'm talking about put a lot of the things we've been talking about previously aside about kind of emotional responses and things like that. I think visually, narratively, and technically. This is one of the most astonishing minutes of film. Um, what you may have got a little bit from my description and what is fundamental is that the camera never leaves the car that we're in and yet pans around to all the passengers and, and we see everything from the perspective of inside the car, which as a technical feat is absolutely extraordinary. So my question then on that respect is, is this a moment that you noted at the point of watching oh my god i'm watching something important or is this something that you have reflectively come back to in terms of framing it as this piece of spectacular filmmaking um i think this this film is sort of got a lot of long one shots in it um the Mm. first is actually right at the beginning there's a scene where he kind of exits a uh, a shop and and then and and as the as the camera kind of comes out it explodes and later on there's these huge very 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 long one shot sequences but i think this is the first time that i really kind of marveled and i did the first time i saw it marveled at like wow this is all taking place and it's it's the middle minute of a yeah. five minute sequence actually i must say that I, I think this is the minute where everything happens but there's five minutes of a one shot all taking place inside this car and i do remember sort of a couple of minutes in going we're not leaving this car. And then mm. when everything kicks off and typically the camera would then take a wider view so we could see the people running at the car and all this stuff. But we're staying in the car, it's getting flames thrown in it, we're getting windows smashed, we get someone gets shot and, and we've got this amazing action sequence of him opening the door and this car, this motorcycle flipping. And the whole time we're, the camera is just a passenger in the car. And it's just like, I didn't think I'd seen anything like that before. I'd, I'd seen mm. one shots, like lengthy one shots before, but never to this degree previous or since really. Quite, quite. And for me, I think when I watched it uh, initially, all of that was f- fairly invisible to me mm-hmm. that I felt in the car. But I I think when I watched it, they, they had done an incredible job of removing the filmmaking eye from me that the the fact that the first half of uh, and you've kind of caught the tail end of the kind of the everyday culminating in the ping pong balls almost feels like a soap or a sitcom it feels mm. very low key and you're just with it and then for me that jump that you get when the when the action kicks in and the adrenaline starts going is because you're 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 bedded in mm. to this to this thing and you can't get out um but none of that was on top of it so i found it interesting that that was something you were was there a point when you noticed that or was it something that i suppose i've always been interested in 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 one shots and and you know it's something that the director had already become quite famous for so i guess i was conscious of it Maybe uh, I was looking for it a little bit. That didn't kind of take really away from the fact that I uh, that I felt the power of the narrative. Because like I said, you know, when I'm talking about this objectively, I think narratively as well as technically, this is an incredible moment. And, and to 
you know, that description I gave at the top, so much happens within this minute. And we are starting with, you know, equilibrium in the sense that we've got this lovely relationship. And then by the end of it, you know, we are in a full on chase sequence in which one person has been killed. We've got so much kicking off. And for them to condense all that into one minute and for it to make kind of narrative sense and for it never to cut away, I think is 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 as much of a narrative feat as it's a technical feat. So I did find myself mm. going with it narratively as well. But I think the real reason why probably it stuck with me and why it stays with me and why it's one that I've chosen to talk about is more around the, the visual and technical stuff of it. I think there's so much there. And have you ever been tempted to, uh, because I'm certain given the existence of YouTube that someone has documented yeah. that moment from a behind the scenes <laughs> perspective. Have you, have you felt the need to dip into that and, and understand it? Further? So I have, yeah. And actually um, I probably will put a, a, a link in the show notes to a particular YouTube clip that I've looked at, which has got interviews with, with all the cast about filming it. It's only a sort of five minute mini documentary about it um they built a, a they built a car with a, a rig on top of it that had never been done before um four people uh, including the director were able to sit on top of the car so that they were moving with the car from on top and able to sort of direct and as they went along um the camera itself that came down into the middle um, which can move in every single direction backwards and forwards as as it moved it says in this documentary forwards the seats mm. that the people were sitting on were having to kind of move outwards to make room for the camera, which is all unseen. Um, so it is a technical feat. And actually, you know, the, the, the five minute doc will do a much better job than I can do explaining what it looks <laughs> like. But actually when you see the car from outside, they'd sort of created this, this, this incredible rig that could not be seen from the camera's perspective. Um, mm. and, and so it was just a, a car driving down a country lane. Um, and there wasn't sort of a lot of post post editing going on. I remember at the time I was working in the film industry when this movie came out mm. and uh, this is in the context of uh, Alfonso Cuaron, the director's ability to make things seem invisible yeah. or, or to, to make it sound more positive, to, to include only what needs to be there. Mm. Uh, I remember reading the budget of this film and going, well, where did they spend that? <laughs> Because because the film is so consciously low key, but that is reflected in its uh, tightness and its uh, streamlinedness beyond beyond its bells and whistles. And so I was fascinated. At almost was it shortly after this he then went on, uh, got hired to direct a Harry Potter, yes. which felt like the antithesis of this movie. <laughs> the, the best Harry Potter movie, I think, it's widely. Uh, widely seen as um starting by saying you made the boldest claim of this <laughs> podcast you've just maybe for some people made the the second boldest um uh, i think the thing is about him as well is you no know, he will not he will not ever have someone come on and explain the plot um that he's absolutely hates that sort of stuff so i i, I also mm. believe and i i think it is there in this sequence but it's there in the whole film he is this film in itself is i think a masterclass in world building yes because at no point does somebody come on and explain the world that we live in we see it a lot of it we see through things that are happening in the background um and um you know we see 
adverts for on daytime TV for like suicide kits that are being advertised in, in, in a day. So we're already like mm. in that bleakness. Constantly there's adverts in the background for something that is scarily similar to what we know of see it say it sort it they've got these sort of anti-immigration like shop your shop your neighbor type posters up everywhere they've got um they've got some uh there's references to i mean this is where we get into super scary territory there's references to a flu pandemic there's a bit yeah well, one of the reasons why i didn't rewatch the whole thing this mm. time um was around the idea of 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 it was it was a fantasy back in two thousand and six or whatever. Every time I watch it, um, I see something new, and, and and it's because the sort of the world moves on, and it uh, sounds horribly bleak, but it's almost like the world leaves a little bit closer to it. Um, and, and yeah. the thing that I saw this time that I'd never seen before is there's a sequence early on where he goes into a library, and people are looking at screens and watching news stories on a screen, and there's a there's a there's a um, a, a reporter, I think it's a reporter, on a video on a screen that someone's watching in a library wearing a, a, a medical mask that we've now become very familiar with. And, you know, that kind of suddenly struck me as a, as, yeah. a, as a detail I hadn't noticed before. But in terms of a masterclass of world building, and I almost picked this scene, so I am going to, to allow myself to talk about it. There is a sequence between um, Theo and Michael Caine's character early on mm. where Michael Caine tells a joke with a punchline that only works in this world. It doesn't work in our world. And if, if you want a masterclass in world building, come up with a joke that you will only get if you are now immersed in this world. Yeah. I'll make a call right now. Actually, I may well just put the, the joke at the end of the podcast, uh, a clip of it, just cause I think it's worth, worth hearing again. But it makes zero sense, this joke, and yet you watch the film and you laugh because the punchline works in the context of yeah. this, this world. So one of the things that this moment did for me, and I want to, I want to dig into it with you, mm. is uh, if you are a regular film watcher, there is a grammar that sits above all films that you walk in with that you start to apply and one of them uh, is always if this person is famous enough for me to know who they are they're probably not going to die yes <laughs> uh, or they're going to die at the end as a, as a gut-wrenching uh, sacrifice as part of that hero's journey as part of that something you lose now th in this moment it's one of those situations where hang on a second, I was expecting them to be with us the whole time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Does that, play into, does that play into why this has the punch that it has? Oh, without a doubt, yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I made a point of, of saying it, even though I didn't want to put it in the original description for those who haven't seen Children of Men. Like, I, you have no doubt when you see uh, Julianne Moore um, turn up in the movie that she's going to be, you know, one of the central characters. And Well, she's one of the few... Um, uh, American accents yeah. in it and and Hollywood movies have American people in and that means they're the important ones I mean it's up there with uh, her death is up there with Samuel Jackson in Deep Blue Sea that's a shocking uh, I'm going to go out on a limb now and say we are not going to talk about Deep Blue Sea on this podcast 
ever as far as movie moments go. <laughs> no, I mean, it's much more powerful than that. Um, yeah, it, absolutely. It, it's, it's, um, and also there's something about the fact that you've, you found out that they're, they, at this point you found out that they have had a previous relationship together. I think either now or later in the film you find out that they had a son together who died during the, the, the flu pandemic, which may or may not be the reason for the infertility that's happening. But we haven't seen is where, like, the love that they used to have and, and, and to, to add to the gut punch of seeing this incredible actress, you know, Moore be, be killed off like a third of the way through the film. You've also... As you start to see a relationship, you, s- you really want to know more about. Yeah, you see the relationship and you see this kind of fun little moment with the ping pong and there's just this... It's just... He's been a bit... He's, he's like a miserable alcoholic up until that point. And suddenly his, he, he, he gets a little bit of humanity back. She has been this really, really sort of, you know, her her sort of anarchism activism has been absolutely everything to her. And so you haven't seen yeah. any humanity from her. So both these characters suddenly have this this couple of moments together where all their humanity comes back and then it's cut short in this most violent and dramatic way. It, it's, it's a shocking moment. And you can sort of see why they wanted to do something quite technically different with it because it it, 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 this moment is important enough to have an entire rig built for it in order to film Mm. it the way that you know he wanted it to be filmed Uh, and where do you place children of men on that i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you to rank it a little bit (laughs) um on that kind of canon of dystopia, because we've had conversations in the past, because we know each other when we're not talking on a podcast, about uh, science fiction. And we've talked about science fiction that doesn't have aliens Mm -hmm. or interplanetary transport, uh, visitors or spacemen. Uh, and this was on that list of ones that you love. I wanted to know where you sit this in the, in the, in the ranking of dystopian films, oh. seeing as we are living through a dystopia, is this is this peak? This is the very top. This is the this is this is dystopian sci-fi at its very very best. I've mentioned it before. The thing that I love more than anything in a science fiction movie is world building. I think creating a world and then having the characters go about doing something within that world, but sticking to the rules of that world is, is for me, absolute peak, not just dystopian sci-fi, but peak sci-fi full stop. I'd much rather stay on mm. Earth in a 30, year, 30 years' time and see something pan out than go up into space and whiz around. Like, that's, that's what I like to see. Um, and it reminds me of a book whose author's name suddenly escapes me, so I might put it in the intro or the outro, um, but mm. it's a book called Blindness. It was made into a movie. Uh, Jose Saramago? Yeah, something like that. Uh, it's Jose Saramago. Um, blindness. Uh, it was a single concept. Everyone in the world at one point goes blind what happens next and this is that this is the the concept is so simple children stop being born now let's go forward 18 years and see what that world looks like and let's have a story that takes place in that world and Mm. and and that for me is is that the essence of sci-fi the essence of the thing that i love about sci-fi boiled down i went to an exhibition once about sci-fi literature um at the british library which said and i will always remember this sci-fi is the uh, narrative of what if yes and and how beautiful to have a what if that can be said in in a, in, a, in, a, in a couple of sentences or even with one sentence in blindness it's everyone in the world goes blind what happens next and then in this one it's what if 
still just not being born. And, and to execute that so beautifully, I think, is, is peak sci-fi. <laughs> to bring it onto execution, mm-hmm. uh, and I know this isn't talking directly about your movie mo- minute, but in the canon of films spinning around in space, Quaron went from this to gravity. onto gravity, yeah. which in terms of simplicity, of sveltness, of uh, clarity of of single storyline, it has that same precision and that same stripping back of everything you'd expect from a spinning around in space movie. But yeah, I mean, I I sort of put gravity in the same ballpark as... um, as children of men in, in terms of yeah we are floating around in space and it is a space movie but it's not a kind of alien type um uh, space yeah. movie it's, it, but it, it, <laughs> yeah she doesn't halfway halfway through uh, there's a bright light and suddenly mm. she's taken on board and has to fight her way off a, a, a ship <laughs> it's just can i land yeah exactly um so yeah i do love that simplicity in storytelling and it's it's weird it's it's the simplicity of the camera is is the technical complication because actually like you said when we are watching it we're not thinking you know maybe i was a little bit we're not thinking oh this is all one shot what we're thinking is i'm a passenger in this car with these five characters so actually that's a very simple storytelling device it's like we're not going to cut away we're going to stay with these people and we're not going to move outside the car we're not going to see we're not going to see these people who are going to run down at the car and attack it before it happens we're not going to add that kind of tension it's all just going to happen and we're going to find out about it as the audience at the same time that characters think about it so that is a simple concept that had an incredibly complicated technical uh, set up around it yes that the there is a, there is a purity to what's happening hmm. being at the, the at the front of it it did it did remind me a little of uh fury road just in its just in its structure that kind of wild wild people running at the last elements of something civilized it was bizarre yeah. I, I, happen, I happened to we didn't discuss this before the podcast watch it fury road uh two nights ago uh, for the second time i saw it in cinema and i watched it again and i, lo- I love that you spend two thirds of the film in fury road driving away from something and then you stop turn around and drive back towards it again <laughs> <laughs> i mean don't get much more simple than that in terms of a hero's journey do you <laughs> Yeah. move away from something and then move back towards it and uh just to just to move back towards uh children of men uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about it that i have not asked <laughs> um not really i mean there is i say not really i could talk for hours about this movie it was, it was one of my all-time favorites and actually it was uh trying to choose the right minute from this to talk about. There were so yeah. many that I could have chosen and so many amazing kind of one shots, but I felt that this had the the punch, the real like dramatic punch within the movie, um, which is why I maybe chose this one other than some of the others. I would love to know if anyone's got uh, parts of Children of Men that they've really, f- you know, feel uh, I should have picked instead of this one. But, um, I, you know, the, I guess the last thing I'll say, and I said at the top as well, is is, is going back to it now, watching it for the umpteenth time as I have, I'm still finding new stuff in it. Mm. I'm still finding things that I didn't see the second, third, fourth time I watched it. And I think if I watch it again in a couple of years' time, there'll be new stuff that I see. Uh, so I do think this is a, 
a very rewatchable movie. And anyone who has seen it, but hasn't seen it for a while, and has heard this podcast and thinks, well, I might go back and watch it again. I think it is currently on one of the streaming platforms. I can't remember if it's on Netflix or, or, or Amazon Prime, but it's definitely worth going back to. And whilst it's bleak and depressing, there is some hope in there. Um, but it is shocking how much you don't spot the first time you see it. Thank you for listening to episode six of My Movie Minute. Easily our bleakest episode to date, but I do hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. Tune in next week for some more movie chat and do visit at My Movie Minute on Twitter or Instagram to join in the conversation. Until then, pull my finger. The Human Project gives this great big dinner for all the scientists and sages in the world. They're tossing around theories about the ultimate mystery. Why are women infertile? Why can't we make babies anymore? Some of them say it's genetic experiments, gamma rays, pollution, same old, same old. Anyway, in the corner, this Englishman's sitting. He hasn't said a word. He's just tucking into his dinner. <laughs> so they decide to ask him. They say, well, why do you think we can't make babies anymore? And he looks up at them, and he's chewing on this great big wing. And he says, I haven't the faintest idea, he said. But this stalk is quite tasty, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>